All right, so we're moving on in Revelation 12 here. Pretty exciting. We're at the halfway point of the tribulation. Things are starting to really heat up, as it were. So let's uh, read verses 6 through 10. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, and I covered this last week, but I want to go into more detail today, this verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So we know exactly who the dragon is, right? Who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. We know that every single cross, T and dotted I, every jot, every tittle is God-breathed. And it's profitable, Lord, for our, for our learning, for teaching, for correcting, training in righteousness, and so forth. Lord, use this time in your word today to continue to build us up, strengthen us, encourage us, and prepare us for these last days in which we are now living, and also to prepare us for eternity as we will very soon be living in your eternal kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, we learned last week the woman here, it's the nation of Israel. She, the woman, gave birth to the Messiah, the Christ child. We saw how Satan tried to take him out and failed. But we fast forward now because that was past 2,000 years ago, the birth of Christ. But this fleeing of the woman into the wilderness is in the halfway point of the seven-year tribulation. This is first laid out for us in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's 70 weeks, each week correlating to a year, a total of 490 years. All but seven of those years were fulfilled when Christ rode into Jerusalem on the donkey in what we believe was April 6, 30 A.D., one week left to be fulfilled. It talks in Daniel 9 about the Messiah being cut off and having nothing. He was crucified. He did not at that time receive his earthly kingdom. He will at his second coming. So the, the, the last week was postponed. And in between the 489th year and the 490th year, we have 2,000 years of the age of the Gentiles, the age of the church, from the founding of the, the body of Christ on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost coming up soon, Acts chapter 2, the official beginning of the New Testament church. Now we've gone some 2,000 years. The church age is coming to an end because we're not going to be here. The rapture is going to happen soon. And that will signal the end of the church age and the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. So the woman fled, this is halfway into the tribulation, because as we see here in a moment, this is when uh, the abomination that causes desolation occurs. Up until the halfway point, the temple will be rebuilt at the beginning of the tribulation, the temple in Jerusalem. The Jews will be able to again reinstitute their regular sacrificial worship, animal sacrifice, worship in the temple and so forth. I've been to the Temple Institute in Jerusalem many times. They've got a marvelous plan all laid out for this temple with cable cars going up to the Temple Mount and all kinds of stuff. It's going to be amazing. The only problem is it's not the temple of Jesus. It's not the temple of the Messiah. It really ultimately will be the temple of the Antichrist because halfway through the tribulation, he's going to cause them to cease their Judaic worship, Hebraic worship, and begin to worship him. We'll see that here in just a moment. So the woman is Israel. Halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist will launch an all-out assault on her. The beginning of the tribulation, he appears to be a man of peace. We saw him earlier on riding the white horse, a false peace that he will bring. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them. 
So initially, he looks like a good guy. In fact, they will embrace him, the Jews, in fact, the whole world, as their Messiah. Halfway through, he's going to launch an all-out assault on her, Israel, the Jews. So sadly, unfortunately, even though after World War II, the outcry around the world regarding the Holocaust and the murder of millions of Jews was never again. Remember that? Yet it's going to happen again. It's already starting. The anti-Semitism is already kicking into high gear. He's going to go after them. But then those who are wise, those who are understanding, will flee to the rock fortress of Petra in the country of Jordan, right across the Jordan River. Notice it says here 1,260 days, or by the lunar calendar, as I told you last week, the Jewish lunar calendar has 360 days, not 365. So if you multiply 360 by 36 months, you get 1,260 days. Again, referencing Daniel 9, verse 27, Then he, the Antichrist, the beast, the one world leader, shall confirm a covenant or a peace treaty with many. So Israel and all of her enemies... That's been the focal point for quite some time, the Middle East, so much of the turmoil revolving around the Middle East. With many, for one week, that's the last week of Daniel, chapter 9, of the 70 weeks, the last seven-year period. With many, for one week, but in the middle of the week, three and a half years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, so this ties right in with Revelation 12, 6, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So it's talking about the fact that he's going to set himself up as God to be worshipped in the temple and all over the world. But, ultimately, the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. We know that he will ultimately be destroyed at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, Interestingly, Daniel 12, 11, from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, halfway through the tribulation, and the abomination of desolation is set up, the image of the beast in the temple to be worshipped as God, the beast, the Antichrist, one and the same, there shall be 1,290 days. Listen to this. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. So what's going on here? We've got... Three different numbers. So according to the angel addressing Daniel in chapter 12, first adding on to the initial three and a half years, 1260 days, you're going to add another 30 days for 1290 days. There's a strong possibility that this 30-day period is the time period in which Christ will separate the sheep and the goats that we read about in Matthew 25, 31, and the wheat and the tares of Matthew 25, 41. Let me read that, Matthew 25, 31 through 34. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, that's the second coming, not the rapture of the church, that's a secret event. The second coming is wide open, the whole world will see it. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, again, indicative of that second coming, and Enoch, or not Enoch, what's, Enoch is quoted in the book of Jude, Behold, he comes with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones, which would be the saints and the angels, and all the holy angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. So this is an earthly event, not in heaven. Right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but this is his earthly throne as he comes back. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand. That's the hand of blessing. That's the place you want to be. But the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Jesus is the king. He will say to those on his right hand, Come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What's going on here? By the end of the tribulation, the earth's population will be reduced to about one-fourth of what it is now. We've got 7.5 billion, so you're looking at less than 2 billion people left, maybe 1.5 billion. 
And that's probably an optimistic number. It's far more than what the uh, Georgia Guidestone people want and what Bill Gates wants and all these people. They want it down to 500 million. And most of those will be subservient to the few who have the intelligence chips implanted in their brains and so forth. By the way, did you hear that it's now public knowledge, it's been openly admitted that in China they're infusing human cells into monkeys. I don't think that's a good idea, do you? But there's a lot, there's a lot more going on all over the world than what you and I are told. Okay, Elon Musk is ready to implant chips in people's brains this year. You've all heard of Elon Musk, right? Mr. Tesla? Things are getting wild and crazy, folks. So what's going on here? We know that there will be people who will come to Christ in the tribulation. And apparently some of them will survive till the end. Many of them will be beheaded. We're told in the book of Revelation that the method of execution for anybody who stands against this one world government, refuses to take the mark of the beast, some type of an injection with a microchip included. Anybody who refuses that will be put to death. They'll be beheaded. But that doesn't mean there will not be an underground movement of Christians on the planet, people who come to Christ after the rapture. How many of you ever read the uh, Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye? The Tribulation Force? Pretty cool. Pretty cool series. So what happens at the end of the tribulation when Christ comes back and we come with him? The thrones are set up for judgment. The 12 apostles, Jesus Christ, will be there. There'll be a separating of the believers from the non-believers. So there will be survivors on the planet, but the non-believers will be removed. They are the goats. They're the ones on the left. And so... What we believe is that this 30-day period is a time period in which Jesus will be laying down these judgments on the earth of who gets to stay and who doesn't. And that's how the earth will be repopulated during the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. In the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with what? Godly offspring, that was the original idea. The goal would be to fill the earth with people who worship God. Right now, the earth is filled with a lot of people who don't and a lot of people who worship false gods. And that's something else that you'll get from Warren's book. So, there will be a separation process. So add on 30 days in which there will be a separation between the sheep and the goats. If you go down to verse 41 of Matthew 25, then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now why are they cursed? Because they refused to receive Christ. God did not curse them. They cursed themselves. God does not send anyone to hell. You send yourself by refusing to receive Christ. You see how that works? God is not the bad guy here. The devil's the bad guy. Matthew 13, 30. Let both grow together. This is talking about the wheat and the tares. The wheat are the people of God, the children of God. The tares are the non-believers or the Fake believers, you've heard me use the term those who identify as believers, just like those who may identify you're a man, but you identify as a woman, you're a woman, but you identify as a man. Well, there are many people in the world today who identify as Christians. Are you tracking with me? Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares which are weeds, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The wheat, that is fruitful. Tares are useless. They're wasteful. They are weeds. They must be discarded, burned. The wheat is the fruit, the true believers, which will be gathered into his barn. So again, another way of him describing this separation process 
He's talking about the final harvest at the end of the tribulation. Daniel 12, 12. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. So now the angel just added another 45 days on. So once Jesus has separated the wheat from the tares, the sheep from the goats, and now the planet will only be inhabited by believers, both immortals like us. We will be immortal. How do you like that? You like that? I like that, being immortal. The immortals, Jesus Christ on the throne, and then the mortal believers who enter into the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennial kingdom, they will be the ones to repopulate the earth. Later on, we'll get into more about that. So what's the next 45 days for? Again, at this point, we are, you know, we are speculating to a degree because we don't have specifics in the scriptures, but it makes a lot of sense. This could be the time taken by Jesus to establish his kingdom in terms of local, regional, national, and international rulers. We're not just going to be all like flower children, you know, um, strolling through the garden in our birthday suit. This world, it's going to be a new world order. You see how the devil rips off everything from God? You've heard the term new world order, right? Well, Satan and the Antichrist have their own agenda for a new world order, but their new world order is going to crash and burn. God's got his own new world order. But that speaks of there will still be nations. The Bible indicates there will be nations during the millennium. There will be various people groups. There will be mortal people on the planet. They will need governing, guiding, and so forth. So we believe quite possibly this next 45 days is for that purpose of establishing local, regional, national, and international leadership, rulers. And for those of you who thought that the millennium was going to be one long vacation in Hawaii and there won't be any vaccine passports then, my, my wife and I were going to go there last summer. We love Hawaii. And then the pandemic broke out and everything fell apart. And I think now from what I'm reading, they have a vaccine passport requirement that you can't go there unless you've had a vaccine. So you know what I say to Hawaii? <laughs> I'll wait till the millennium and then I'll go all I want. Except it probably won't be there because we're also told in the book of Revelation that all the islands are going to disappear. So those of you who like the island scene, probably not going to happen. But I'm sure there'll be other things just as great. Okay? Revelation 1.5 Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests, to his God and Father. So this will be our role during the millennium, to be kings and priests. And whatever terminology you want to use, you know, um, governor, mayor, prime minister, the Bible uses certain terms for those in positions of authority and leadership, but we have other terms that we use in these days, so it could be any of the above. Revelation 5, 9, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Do you realize that? As believers, those who are right now, in this present life, followers of Christ, believers in God, born again by the Spirit of God, boy, it's too bad that our, our vision and our perspective is so limited, isn't it? We worry about things uh, like, i got to get an oil change on my car. You know, my sprinkler system's broken. i got to get my drip system fixed. Folks, we're going to rule and reign with Christ on this earth. And God's trying to get us ready and prepare us. And we're so distracted by all these peripheral things that we hardly ever even think about it. God is preparing you to be a king and a priest on planet earth. Wouldn't it be great if we could think about that more and have that perspective in front of us? Because this stuff is just nothing in this, this life. It's all about God's eternal kingdom.
It's all about God's eternal kingdom. Revelation uh, 20, verse 4. Now, having said all that, there, there are some qualifiers. We'll get to those in a moment. I, now, this is, uh, I saw thrones, they that sat on them. Revelation 20, verse, judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, the tribulation martyrs, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, here's the qualifier, Luke 19, 15. The parable of the minas or the talents. So it was that when he returned, the master of the house, this would be Christ, having received the kingdom, millennial kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money. He gave each one a certain amount of money to take care of in his absence, remember? To be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. So his expectation, he gave uh, ten to one, five to another, two to another, and his expectation is that they would take the resources he had given them and multiply them, increase them through wise investments. In this turn, it's wise investments in the kingdom of God, not just money. The three things that we have that we can invest in God's kingdom are time, energy, and money, using the resources that God has given us for eternal purposes as much as possible. We have to eat, we have to have a place to live and so forth, but investing as much of our resources as we can into those things that have eternal value and purpose. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And then he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in, a very, in very little, have authority over ten cities. So here's a guy that because of his faithfulness with investing what God had given him in the millennial kingdom, he's going to have authority over ten cities. The second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also will be over five cities. So one improved, increased the resource tenfold, ten cities, one fivefold, one five cities. If you remember the rest of the story, the other guy was scared and buried his mina and did nothing with it. And Jesus said, even that which you have will be taken from you. So that's the qualifier. Yes, we will rule and reign with him, but it's going to depend upon our faithfulness here in this life. So, <laughs> I don't know. Never mind, I'm not going to say it. Okay, so just keep that in mind. I was thinking about places that I would not want to rule over. Uh, so, you think of your own. <laughs> of course, everything's going to be better in the millennium, right? So, no matter where God puts you, it'll be great. Amen? Amen. Okay. Didn't want to offend anybody or hurt anybody's feelings. Okay, verse 7. We move on now. While this is going on, the woman is fleeing, the Antichrist is pursuing her. And so forth. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. So what else is going to happen? Well, on earth, the Antichrist is setting himself up in the temple as God. The Jews are going, no way, Jose. This has gone too far. And they head for the hill, so to speak. They head for Petra and Jordan. While that's going on, in heaven, war breaks out. Halfway through the tribulation, Satan decides to make his move against the forces of heaven, trying one last time to usurp the throne of God. That was what got, got him kicked out in the first place, remember? Isaiah 14, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend above the stars, the stars being the angels. He wanted to not only be the, the, the head angel, which he was, he wanted to be God. He was kicked out of heaven for it. We saw that in the first part of this chapter 12 where his tail, the dragon's tail, swept a third of the stars from the sky. That was when God cast him out and he took a third of the angels with him. So there's good news there. Our angels outnumber his two to one. I like that. Okay, so he's trying one last time to usurp the throne of God. Getting a little cocky here with his uh, 
Antichrist on the earth and one world government, one world religion, one world economy. But they, the dragon and his angels, did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Now this is not the same as when he was cast out initially, and I'll explain why. But I first want to point out, he, he did not prevail. They did not prevail. Romans 8, 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Sometimes we tend to give the devil too much credit. We don't ever have to worry or fear him. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, even when we are attacked by the enemy... If it happens, that means God has allowed it, and he allows, allows it for good purposes. What the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good. Whatever may come our way, if we yield ourselves to God, if we look to God, if we trust in God, he will use it for good. 1 John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Satan is the mastermind behind this world system. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And that faith came not from yourself, but from God. He gave you the faith to believe in Him, to trust Him, to follow Him. And that gives you victory to overcome this world. So, be encouraged. Satan launches an attack against Michael, the angels of heaven, and they did not prevail, and he will not prevail against us. All right, verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So this is, here's what's going on. Up until this midpoint in the tribulation, Satan has had, always had, access to the third heaven where God dwells. He can't hang out there, but he can have access, I'll show you in a moment, this war will bring an end to Satan's activities. And through the second half of the tribulation, they will be confined his, his activities in heaven. And through the second half of the tribulation, they'll be confined to the earth. And that's not good for those who still are still alive on the planet. Let's go over several things here. First, he's referred to as the great dragon. This stresses Satan's vicious and cruel character and emphasizes his end-time activity and behavior. The great dragon, spewing forth fire and smoke, wreaking havoc, terrorizing the world. Then he's referred to as the serpent of old. So that clearly identifies him as Satan and draws our attention to his crafty character we saw in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve, Eve in particular. It reminds us of the Garden of Eden, the fall of man, his usurpation of man's rule on the earth, and his constant activity of temptation and deception, the serpent of old. Then, flat out, we're told he is the devil. The Greek is diabolos, means slanderer, defamer, and it reminds us of Satan's activity to malign the character of God, Job chapter 1, and to accuse believers for whom Christ died. Revelation 12.10, Romans 8.34. Finally, the fourth name tag we see here is that of Satan. The Greek is Satanas, and it's derived from the Hebrew Satan, which means adversary. It points to Satan as the opponent of God, of believers, and of all that is right and good. So he is the great dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world. So do you see what's happening all around us right now? He is fulfilling that role. He is deceiving the whole world. 2 Thessalonians 2.9, the coming of the lawless one. Again, that's the beast, the Antichrist, a real person, a man, a world leader. The coming of the lawless one. Have you noticed how lawless our world is becoming how lawless our government is becoming now again i got to give credit i know i get a lot of flack for being a trump supporter but one of his major themes was law and order you know what the theme of the new regime is no law no order 
unless you're a conservative Christian. And then you better watch out. There have been sad stories of young women, some with children, single mothers, because they attended the rally in Washington, D.C. They're being arrested. They're being interrogated by the FBI, being threatened with years in prison just because they went to Washington, D.C. to support the previous president. But everybody else, it's anything goes, right? If you want to be a BLM or an Antifa or any of those, you can do whatever you want. But if you're a law enforcement officer and you make a mistake, you are done, you are over, you are hosed. Who is going to want to be in law enforcement in this day and age we're living in? Who wants to put their life on the line like that? You can't do anything without getting in trouble, losing your job, and possibly going to jail. We are now in the time. In fact, Jesus said because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of most would grow cold. We're in that time right now, folks. We are there. We are there. The coming of the lawless one. Gosh, if it wasn't for his mental state, it could almost be Joe Biden. But there's no way he's up for the job of Antichrist. He has the, the right values, but just not the mental capacity or the physical stamina. I got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> uh, leading up to the two, 2008 election. Because I said, Obama may not be the Antichrist, but he will do until the real one comes along. And I was absolutely right. A lot of people left this church because of that. But you know what? There was a conference in Tulsa this past weekend, the Health and Freedom Conference. Did any of you see it? It was streamed online. All kinds of great Christian speakers there. I didn't get to see very much of it. I saw Lynn Wood last night, Pastor Bill Cook, who has... Uh, started up uh, the black, I think it's called the Black Robe Brigade. It goes back to the pastors of the Revolutionary War days. And they're, they're starting chapters all over the United States. And he talked about how those at the very forefront of the Revolutionary War were the pastors. They were the ones who were encouraging their congregations to stand up for freedom, to stand up for the truth. And they also fought in the Continental Army, ministers of the gospel, it was a great conference, very inspiring and very encouraging for me to hear Pastor Bill Cook talking about the fact that any pastor who is too afraid to talk about politics from the pulpit should get another job. And I keep hearing over and over again people speaking, possibly believers, there are many believers in the conservative secular media and the theme that I keep hearing repeatedly over and over again from these Christians in the secular media world is they're constantly complaining about how weak and wimpy all the pastors in America are today well I'm that's one tag that I don't claim <laughs> and I'm encouraged by that I got to be honest it does get discouraging sometimes when People keep getting mad at you and offended by you and leaving the church, but over and over again, God keeps confirming to me that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, whether anybody likes it or not. So I'll continue to do it as long as He allows me to. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 2.9, trying to get through this. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Again, God is a God of miracles, but I got to tell you, for the most part, and you go all the way back to the ministry of Jesus, there, we have these flamboyant ministries out there, and they've got all these fireworks going off and this big show going on, and that's not how God works. Remember what God, when God went to Elijah, spoke to Elijah? It wasn't in the fire, it wasn't in the whirlwind, or anything. he spoke to him in a still, small voice. And when Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead, he always told people, don't tell anybody. Just go on your way and praise God. So, but a lot of believers or people who identify as believers get all caught up 
and the flash and splash and the signs and wonders, many of which are not real and true. And that's exactly what the Antichrist is going to use to suck people in. And there are more than, there's more than one way to accomplish that. Yes, Satan does counterfeit the miracles of God. Johanna Michelson, who spoke here several years ago in our, our conference, The Age of Deception, she grew up in Mexico, not Hispanic, but grew up there just like Reiner. You grew up in Mexico, right? He's German. But she was instructed and taught under a psychic healer who uses demonic power and influence to do what appear to be genuine healings. If you've ever read about psychic healers, it's pretty freaky and bizarre. She was trained in that, but she got saved and God delivered her out of that. She wrote a book called The Beautiful Side of Evil many years ago, back in the 80s. But people get sucked in this idea of power. And that's what the Antichrist is going to do. Some of it could be done through technology. Some of it quite possibly will. Remember Janus and Jambres, the Pharaoh's magicians who opposed Moses and Aaron? They performed miracles, but they were fake, counterfeit, satanic, demonic miracles. And when Moses threw down his rod and it became a serpent, Moses' serpent consumed the serpents of Janus and Jambres, remember? But that doesn't mean people will not be sucked in by all this stuff. And so, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, and this part I just keep honing in on over and over again, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Again, we're talking choices. Everybody always wants to blame somebody else or pass the buck or I'm a victim of circumstances or I'm just, you know, what my fate, this is my fate. No, you have a choice. You have a choice. They refuse to receive what? Not just the truth, the love of the truth. It's not enough. I think I told you the guys not too long ago. It's not enough to simply say, I, I believe the truth. No, it isn't. You've got to love it. And when you love the truth, you will never be offended by the word of God. You will never be offended by one single word or verse in the word of God. If you receive the love of the truth, everything that he has to say to you will be sweet and wonderful, even the hard parts. They did not receive of the love of the truth that they might be saved. You have a choice. Anybody watching online today, you have a choice. Don't ever believe, and the devil will try to convince you otherwise. You don't have a choice. God doesn't even like you. Forget it. God, is, God isn't even real. He'll tell you any lie he can, but I want you to know you have a choice, and you have nothing to lose and everything to gain by choosing Jesus. Put him to the test. Ask him to make himself known to you. You receive him by faith and then give him the opportunity to make himself known to you, to come and live inside of you. You won't be disappointed. And for this reason, just like God hardened Pharaoh's heart, God isn't some big meanie. God hardened Pharaoh's heart because Pharaoh had already hardened it himself. That's why I keep telling you, don't ever ask God to give you what you deserve. Just prevail upon his love, his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. Okay, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. Why? Because they'd already chosen it. By refusing Christ, by rejecting God, by refusing to receive the love of the truth, they'd already chosen deception. Lie to me. Don't tell me the truth. Lie to me. And you notice that people seem to love people who are liars. And hate people who tell the truth. I could make political reference on that, but I'll just move on. God will send them strong, not just delusion, strong delusion. Are you seeing it all around you? 
Men who think they're women, women who think they're men. People who think they're, they're not even human, they're something else. They get all these tattoos and piercings, turn themselves into animals. All the transgendering of children. Boy, Linwood came down hard on that last night. The child sex trafficking, the transgenderism, and he told it plain and true and simple. They are killing our children. And I've told you that before too. And at some point, God's going to intervene. Jesus said, better to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean than to harm one of these little ones of mine. Anybody who thinks they're getting away with it, you're not getting away with it. A strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And more and more we see how people, when they're confronted with the truth, they're blind. They can't see it. They're totally deceived. It wouldn't, you could beat them over the head with it. It wouldn't do any good. The lie that the Antichrist, the beast, is the savior of the world, the true Messiah, covered in this book also, that they all may be condemned. We've just talked about the separating of the sheep and the goats. Those who survive, those who don't, will be going there ahead. That they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, that's part of the problem. There, there's, a, there's physical, carnal pleasure in unrighteousness, isn't there? But as the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, there is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. How sad. Just like Esau, giving away his birthright as the firstborn son for a bowl of goat stew made up by his brother Jacob. Remember that? He was such a carnal, fleshly man that just for that temporary satisfaction of filling his belly with that bowl of stew that Jacob made him, he traded away his entire birthright. That's what people are doing today. They're trading away eternity for sexual gratification, for alcohol, for drugs, for pornography, you name it. Trading away eternity. Is that, if that is not the epitome of foolishness, I don't know what is. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. But it's happening all around us. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, let's get back here to uh, Revelation. He, the dragon, the devil, Satan, the serpent, was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, this is going to get a little interesting, but I, I need to touch on this, I believe. This could be... Have any of you noticed all the increased talk in UFOs? It, you used to be a whack job, right? Right? If you believed in UFOs, you were a whack job. <laughs> Tinfoil hat, the whole nine yards. But listen to these recent headlines. What I'm leading up to here is that he is cast to the earth so he can no longer approach the throne of God. I have a verse here in a moment about that. This could be the unfolding of the great alien arrival as Satan and his angels are cast down to the earth. Why New Yorkers are seeing UFOs everywhere during the pandemic? That's one headline. Here's another one. The U.S. military takes UFOs seriously. They always used to cover up everything and hide it, remember? Why doesn't Silicon Valley or academia take it seriously? The government wants to know if these unidentified objects pose a military threat, but they also represent an opportunity to advance science and technology. Because after all, more and more people are believing that it was the aliens that put us here in the first place. Darwin fizzled out. Darwin is a joke. Evolution is a farce. So now what do you do? If you don't want to worship God, you don't want to believe in God, what are you going to do? Well, it must have been the aliens. There's got to be another explanation for how we got here other than God created us, right? That's what they think. That's what they believe. Here's another one. UFO spotted by U.S. fighter jet pilots. New footage revealed. And so... All of a sudden, 
UFOs are becoming mainstream. Check this out. Got two articles here. I first learned this from Thomas Horn. Russ, uh, not Russ Miller, I forget his name now. Lucifer instrument helps astronomers see through darkness to most distant observable objects. Have you heard of the Lucifer telescope in Arizona? A new instrument with an evil sounding name is helping scientists see how stars are born. Lucifer, which stands for Large Binocular Telescope Near Infrared Utility with Camera and Integral Field Unit for Extra Galactic Research. Boy, they went out of their way on that one, didn't they? <laughs> it's a chilled instrument attached to a telescope in Arizona. And yes, it's named for the devil, whose name itself means morning star. But it wasn't meant to evoke him. Oh, of course not. According to a spokesman for the University of Arizona, where it is housed, the instrument is chilled to minus 213 degrees Celsius, about minus 351 degrees Fahrenheit, to allow for near-infrared observations. That wavelength is important for understanding star and planet formation, as well as observing very distant and very young galaxies. Lucifer has three interchangeable cameras for imaging and spectroscopy in, in different resolutions. It has a large field of view and high-res capabilities, which allow a wide range of observations. Lucifer is part of the Large Binocular Telescope, which happens to be right next to the Vatican Observatory on Mount Graham in Safford, Arizona. That's right, the Vatican has an observatory in Arizona manned by Jesuit astronomers. Now its next-door neighbor is named for the devil. <laughs> this is all real, folks. Scientists at five German universities designed the instrument, and they came up with the name according to Daniel Stolt, a spokesman for the University of Arizona. Stolt, who is German explained that the team was tossing around names looking for an acronym that would fit all the technical terms. In Germany, they wouldn't have had the same hesitation that Americans would have had, since it's a very secular country, he said. I may be completely off, but that's just my hunch. For us Germans, Lucifer just sounds cool. Wow. That doesn't speak very highly of your culture, does it? It's more historical than emotional, no matter your religion, the photos are certainly cool. Now, here's where it gets even more interesting. Again, I first learned all this from Tom Horn and some people with the, uh, his ministry. Pope Francis says he would definitely baptize aliens if they asked him to. This is real! It's real. Pope Francis would absolutely baptize an alien from Mars if one showed up at the Vatican and asked for it. During his weekly homily on Monday, Francis said that aliens, which he imagines could be green, with that long nose and big ears just like children paint them, should be baptized just like anyone else who asks for it because it's not up to any human to decide who should receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, if God prompts some Martians to come to earth, find the Pope and say, we want in on this Catholicism thing, the Pope would probably say, okay, cool but probably in Latin. So there is some humor to this article, as you can see. Francis laid out the hypothetical situation as part of a discussion of the early church's baptizing of Gentiles. Basically, the earliest church contained some tension over whether there was any difference between the very early Jewish followers of Christ and Gentiles who converted from paganism to Christianity who would be considered unclean by the standards of Jewish law. Peter eventually persuades his followers that everyone is open to becoming Christian by saying, if then God gave them the same gift he gave us when we came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to be able to hinder God? So here's how Francis tried to illustrate that point on Monday with a much more modern example. That was unthinkable. If, for example, tomorrow an expedition of Martians came, and some of them came to us here, Martians, right? Green, with that long nose and big ears, just like children paint them, and one says, but I want to be baptized. What would happen? What would happen? They'd get baptized. That's what would happen, he goes on. When the Lord shows us the way, who are we to say, no, Lord, it is not prudent. No, let's do it this way. Who are we to close doors? In the early church, even today, there is the ministry of the ostiary, the usher. And what did the ostiary do? He opened the door, received the people, allowed them to pass. 
but it was never the ministry of the closed door, never. The Vatican's astronomer, the same one who dismissed intelligent design as bad theology, we all know what intelligent design is, right? That's creation. Well, this guy, the Vatican's astronomer, dismissed intelligent design as bad theology, said in 2010 that he'd baptize an alien because any entity, no matter how many tentacles it has, has a soul. Really? Any entity has a soul. But again, only if they request it. Alien baptism by request only. And this guy in the article says, so glad that's settled. Now all we have to do is wait. But it is true, from everything that I've been able to ascertain, that these Jesuit astronomers, if you will, are actively looking for beings from outside our realm. And they're also saying that if these beings appear, then it'll probably alter our entire theology and how we view the Bible, the gospel, everything will change. And there are many other people other than just the Jesuits and the Pope all over the planet who are actively seeking the Hadron Collider in Europe and Switzerland. The purpose of that collider is to try to breach other dimensions, to open up portals, to send people or other entities back and forth and if and when they succeed, it can very well open the door to entities from other dimensions. And uh, going all the way back to the late, great Dr. Walter Martin, who was, introduced me to the idea that aliens really do exist, but they're not aliens, they are demonic entities. We know that angelic beings in times past have come into our dimension. People have seen angels, right? They've seen demons. But if you're observing the atmosphere and there are entities penetrating, passing from one dimension to another, it could very easily present what we are being told are UFOs, alien spacecraft, and so forth. It could very well be that at this midpoint of the tribulation, when Satan and his angels are cast down to the earth, that that's when this so-called great alien invasion will take place. Verse 10, and we'll finish it up here. Sorry for going a little over. Is anybody bored? Okay. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. I love this. The voice. How many of you have heard that show, The Voice? This is the voice. A loud voice. God, Jesus, a mighty angel, we don't know for sure, but a loud voice announces the inevitable, as we talked about, I think, last week or the week before. This has not come to full fruition yet, but from God's point of view, it's a done deal. Now, salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. We're moving into the final phase, part two of the tribulation, the great tribulation, which will be consummated with the return of Christ and the establishing of His kingdom. The accuser of our brethren who has accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Again, as I pointed out already, Satan will no longer be allowed to go before God and bring accusations against God's people. Job 1, beginning in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God, there are two camps on this. I'm of the camp that the sons of God are the angels. Some don't want to believe that because in Genesis 6 it says the sons of God came down and had relations with human women, the, sons, the daughters of men. And that's just too uncomfortable for some people to embrace. But these sons of God, which I believe are the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. Pretty hard for human men to do that when God's up there and we're down here. And Satan also came among them. What does that tell us? That even though he was cast out, he was no longer the anointed cherub who covers the worship leader in heaven, the, the head of all the angels. He still had limited access to God. He came along with the other angels and the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Peter said that Satan's like a roaring lion wandering to and fro about the earth, 
seeking whom he may devour. These stupid Christians that mock the devil and make fun of him are idiots. Oh, we've bound the devil. Really? Look at the world around you. He doesn't look very bound to me. I'm protected by God. But this world is under his control. He's still running the show. He is still the lion. And you better make sure the lion of the tribe of Judah has your back. Yeah. Woo, got some chills there. <laughs> Woo, still got them. Woo. <laughs> then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Oh, Lord, please don't do that. Hey, Satan, have you seen Gary down there? Boy, he's doing a great job. Please don't do that, Lord. I want to keep it on the down low. Hey, have you seen my servant Job, Satan, that there's none like him on the earth? Oh, man, talk about putting a target on your back. A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a... Hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side. You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. No wonder Job's such a good guy. Look how you've blessed him. He's accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren before God. But now, God, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Ooh, man, Satan throws down the gauntlet, doesn't he? And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, and here we go, all that he has is in your power. Is God allowing this? Yes. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And that's what happened. Job lost everything. Wife, kids, you name it, livestock. God allowed it. But you can't touch him personally. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. But we know, I always come back to this, when Job says, Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. I'm God's. He can do whatever he wants with me. But at the end of the day, I know where I'm going to be when this life is over. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, it says here. Soon, folks, in the middle of the tribulation, this will be a permanent situation. His final battle for the purpose of eradicating the human race this is why you don't want to be here. This is why you want to be part of the church, the body of Christ, that's caught up to meet the Lord in the air before this stuff starts. Because once he's cast down, he's going to be busy right here on planet Earth 24-7 with all of his demonic entities, and it's going to be hell on Earth. Jesus said it'll be worse than any other time in human history. I'm telling you, you ain't seen nothing yet. And I plan to watch from the balcony. Let's stand. Let's stand. Two final verses. Good news for us. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's a promise from the word of God. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me. Don't ever forget that. I really offended a lady years ago. She happened to be the mother of a prominent Calvary Chapel pastor from California. But I said, we have no holiness or righteousness of our own and I believe that to this very day I wouldn't have any if it weren't for God he has given it to me he has imparted to me his holiness and his righteousness I am a vile wretch I am holy because he is holy she didn't like that first John 4 4 you are of God little children and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world Jesus is greater. The devil's going to have his 15 minutes of fame, but it's not going to last. Jesus is on the throne, always has been, always will be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for imparting your wisdom, your knowledge, your understanding to us, for imparting your holiness and your righteousness to us, Father. Lord, because all of our good works are like filthy rags. There is none righteous, no, not one, your word tells us that, but we thank you that we've been clothed in the robes, the righteous robes of Christ. Father, I pray for anyone here today or watching online that has yet to yield their life over to you, Lord, and even for some who may be identifying as Christians, but they've never been truly born again. 
that this very moment you would draw them to yourself, you would give them the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, they would humble themselves before you, confess their sins, and acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, and you would graciously, lovingly forgive them, come to live inside of them, fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you, Father. While we have our heads bowed, eyes closed, anybody needing prayer this morning, please, please raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you or someone else that you're thinking of this morning that you'd like prayer for. Father, you see those hands, you know every heart, you know what's in their hearts and in their minds. Whether it be for health issues, we pray for healing. You are the great physician. Lord, we know that uh, these bodies do wear down and break down, but at the same time, we know that there is health and strength available to us as your children. We pray for healing for those in need of that today, whether it's just the very smallest thing. It could be allergies, it could be cancer, it could be heart disease. Lord, you have authority over all that, and we ask you just to heal those needing healing today. We pray for those needing salvation, that they would indeed receive Christ as Lord and Savior this very moment. Father, we pray for those needing financial help, financial provision, that you would provide for them. Lord, you promised in your word you would provide for us and take care of us if we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, no matter what happens to us, help us to keep our eyes on you, trusting in you. We pray that you would impart faith to those struggling in that area, that they would have the faith to trust you, to put their hope and trust in you and you alone. Lord, we pray for relationships that have been damaged or broken, that you would bring healing to those and help those here today to be uh, instruments of your peace and reconciliation. Pray for those needing encouragement, Lord, guidance, direction. Lord, we pray that you would uh, just remove all anxiety, all stress, all worry, all, all doubt. Help us to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. We thank you in Jesus' name.